cliffcentral.com. Let's turn our attention now to the continent of Africa and also get JJ Cornish up on the screen. It is time for us to find out in African analysis brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School and find out about what is happening on the continent. Here he is, JJ Cornish, who was at our party last Thursday. It was really good to see you, JJ. Everybody was talking about they didn't know how tall you were. Um, who was it? Ryan, who said <laughs> he said he couldn't believe how tall you were. Um, and, and, uh, and he's a tall guy. He said, like, JJ was towering over me at the party the other day. <laughs> well, bonjour to you, Gareth. Nice to see you. I, I, full disclosure, I went to this party. Uh, I actually broke an EFF blockade of the N1 to get to the party because <laughs> there was free booze. There's no telling what a man from Pretoria will do when there's free booze. You know, they can you say. See. Uh, we'll give you a, 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 a sweet sherry if you come and speak at right. this Jehovah's Witness conference where people go, you know, they do it. <laughs> well, I, but I did go and some idiot had left all the booze out on a table yeah. and I, I kissed that. I went through that booze. Good for you. And it was a great party and I met colleagues I'd never met before and I made a huge impression. I've matured a lot. I no longer take the peanuts, yes. you know, from the bowl. I just slip them into my side pocket to eat yes. later. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but I'm great at parties. You know, I'm from that old school of journos. I had a, I had, I was sitting up at uh, when I worked for Sapa in Johannesburg. A new guy came in. Yeah. And the fact is, uh, uh, he then used to disappear, and and in the library he'd hid his booze. Well, the editor called him in on day one. He was shickered by lunchtime and said, you know what? I know that uh, journalists are hard drinking guys. And the fact is we have a pub down at the bottom. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes they sneak out for a drink, but they don't hide bottles in the library. Uh, have you thought of that? And the guy said, sneak out and cross the road for a drink. Are you kidding at 10.30 in the morning, I'd be taking my life in my hands trying to cross the road. <laughs> he was so far pickled. Oh, wow. Big story. I don't suppose the younger journalists drink like they did in those no, days, but I it mean, was really you know, legendary. I mean, even you talk about uh, journalists, but, I mean, broadcasters too. You've worked with a, a lot of those in your time. Oof. Listen, the, the, the radio and TV people, they drink heavily and used to drink even more heavily. I mean, yeah. these are these are seriously um, hardcore. These are people who take drinking seriously. Some of them would do their shows completely hammered back in the day, and that was what made them so good. You know, they were living on the edge. Um, <laughs> but but we've got a hell of a story here, and it's something that you and I picked up on a long time ago, and we haven't got to talking about yet. But we've got to talk about the Gambia which we've discussed before. It's this tiny little country. And apparently in the Gambia, there is something very, very interesting happening, particularly UK women, aging, sometimes twice or three times divorced British women, are going to the Gambia. They're flying to the Gambia and landing there with a very express purpose of finding young Gambian men to have sex with. And these guys are called bumsters. Well, these and the I don't know what the English women are called. I think the euphemism for them is leathery. <laughs> I actually went. I went to a AU summit in Gambia. AU summit in Gambia, which dried out English women who go to the Gambia. 
Well, you know, it's very interesting because uh, I, 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 at the summit, it was very interesting. It was dominated by Muammar Gaddafi with his stretch hummers, you know, yes. and, and uh, a, a very interesting summit it was too. But I noticed all my waiters at the hotel were particularly good-looking young men, and uh, then they did the, the breakfast and didn't hang around for lunch because by lunchtime they were servicing the tourists in this area wow. called Senegambia. It's a tiny little country. I think I've told you how they they worked the size of it. It's sandwiched by Senegal, mm-hmm. and they went up the Gambian River and fired a cannon one way and then the other. And and so this little river snakes up <laughs> through Senegal, and the little country looks like a sort of like a lizard because that's that's how they determined the size. They swapped it for Djibouti, which they gave to the French, right? And the French gave the British, uh, they uh, gave the British the Gambia. People, some call it the Gambia. And this was obviously to the delight of our leathery British friends. And more and more and more. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously the, the Gambian authorities want to get the tourists there and they do flock. The, the climate, of course, is wonderful. But they're saying, can't you come and see our wildlife and mm. our natural heritage and our culture yes. instead of just coming to you know, get your leg over one of the locals and or let the locals get their leg over you, however they put it. But this is an absolute, absolute trade. And sadly, they're hauling younger boys, younger and younger, into the business. Hmm. And uh, it's a very poor country. So they're getting hauled in to service the uh, tourists in in this very special way. And uh, young girls too, sadly. I mean, there are a bunch of quite... Dicey looking older men there too, but it's it's a, the, the sex industry in Gambia is highly highly developed. The age sure. of consent there is sixteen, and uh, you know you can be fined and get two years jail if you are uh, uh, try moving anybody into this you know, operating the tourist industry, and you could be banned from working in the tourist <laughs> industry for ten years if you're caught uh, uh, performing U-turns under the duvet. You know. But the, they call them bumsters, and, and clearly it's a, it's a major source of income for these young men, but it's also a major reason why so many English women are flying and flocking to the Gambia. So now you know, if you, if you have a friend who, you know, whose gran back in England is, is taking holidays to the Gambia, you know what she's up to with the bumsters. I think so. I no. think that's fair to say. No, no. At least we've, you see, we've helped people understand this phenomenon because this is what African analysis is all about. We don't just talk about, <laughs> we don't just talk about the big political, social and economic, uh, twos and fro's. We also talk about those things which, uh, essentially keep the economy going. And what your granny is up to. It's very important. Very to know important. That. Yeah. All right. So let's turn our attention to other issues because it's been, uh, 49 days. Since the Liberian president and former football star George Weir was criticized for leaving his country in autopilot, uh, where did he go? Do we know yet? Um, and wh- well, who's, know, who's in charge in Liberia? <coughs> Excuse me. George Weir has been president since 2018. He's the first and only black footballer to, be, to have won the Ballon d'Or, you know, mm. that individual prize for the best player. Yes. That uh, Messi and. Uh, Ronaldo will compete for every year. Yes. yes. But he went off to uh, Ghana money, uh, aid from around the world, but then thought he'd stop by in uh, the uh, 
the at the at the World Cup, mm-hmm. which is of course what uh, Paul Kagami did and a number of others. Sure, uh, but he has a son. Like many Liberians, his son uh, Timothy has dual citizenship. You know, the U.S. never had any colonies, but the but Liberia was set up as a place for liberated slaves to be sent to. So it is, to a large extent, a kind of a uh, American colony. The, Ameri- the, 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 the Liberians speak English with a kind of a Bronx accent, you know. Hmm. Uh, wh- I hoid a boy choip, you know, and things like that. They all sound like <laughs> people from a, from a Mario Puzo novel, but nonetheless, <laughs> he went off and uh, he's got, he took a picture of his son who played and, uh, and said, proud daddy, you know, here's his son. Playing for the United States, sure. Many Zambian, many Gambians who say, "Well, you know, we, we we're battling here for soaring prices, uh, stocks on on food and things running out." But you seem to be having a good time using public money to pay for your celebrity lifestyle. We can only be grateful that the United States has been ruled out of the contest now, has been knocked out, because otherwise yeah. you'd probably have stayed there till January. But uh, he, there's no 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 signs of of uh, remorse from the man. He hasn't come back yet, so uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, they had Ellen John- Johnson Sirleaf, you know, the mm. the the woman pre- uh, president, and she was remarkable. He took over from her. She was a remarkable president, and really, really uh, is an example to be followed. Unfortunately, our George uh, Nimblefooted George Weah is not doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, you know, you hear about these presidents who just abscond and use public money to have like a nice long holiday. But usually, even in this country, we recall them after a while. I mean, you know, Tabo used to spend, Tabo Mbeki used to spend an inordinate amount of time traveling around the world. In fact, people used to complain that he was the absentee president. But it seems like, uh, you know, Cyril's also spending quite a lot of his time when they're pulling the carpet out from under him. He, he seems to be spending quite a lot of time traveling. But you know, uh, Gareth, I'm a, I'm a proponent of that. I, we in South Africa have a responsibility towards Africa, whether we like it or not. We make a huge footprint on our continent, and our president simply has to be in many of these countries at many of these meetings, even though they are talk shops. But he has to be there. So I, I'm very reluctant to uh, criticize, and certainly in the case of Tabo, I don't think he was <clears throat> swanning it. He was working in Africa. No, he was. And uh, yes, that's, that's one of the cheapest ways, you know, to uh, criticize a president and say, oh, well, he's never in the country. But yeah. the fact is, would you want somebody who stays home, uh, you know, and, and what goes to what classes for introverts instead of looking after the country's uh, <laughs> uh, economic needs and, and that of his continent? Fair enough. And, and he did set up a few things that made the country uh, at that point very, very successful. Our growth rate was going, uh, you know, up to 6%. We were dealing with uh, SADC, setting up all kinds of trade agreements. So there were absolute uh, measurable improvements in people's lives when Tabo was busy traveling around. I, I personally didn't have a problem with it, but I do remember people complained. Um, I was, You know, people were so keen to get rid of Tabo and Becky that they, they put J- Jacob Zuma yeah. in his place. So think, That's right. Think about that one. <laughs> I know. That's uh, it's not one of our finest moments. Um, so let's just talk about Nigeria quickly, because uh, since Tabo Mbeki and uh, Obasanjo were the two who created the African Union out of the OAU, um, Nigeria comes to mind. They have opted to scrap English for primary school children 
and to use one of the country's 625 languages that are more familiar to them. So scrapping English, is this a good idea? Is this something that um, we think will benefit Nigerians in the long run? Well, they're scrapping English as a medium for education. Presumably the Nigerians will still learn uh, to, to to speak English, you know, okay. they'll do English classes. And what the government is saying is that this is to uh, enrich and improve the use of the 625 local languages. But how on earth, given the grown-up problems that Nigeria has with development and security, how do you determine at your little school – you know, uh, mm. which language to use. Yeah. And uh, because the medium of education, which is, I mean, that caused the Soweto uh, uprising, for example, was when the Boers decided to make Afrikaans the medium for education. Oh. Uh, it's it's highly, highly emotive. Now, there are calls, and understandably there are calls more and more, for primary school children to be taught in their mother tongue because they pick up things quicker and they get better education mm-hmm. to Im- to impose another language on a child of six going to school for the first time is a big burden and yeah. and you know it's not, it's not it's not fair it's not comparable with other children who uh, have english or uh, afrikaans or uh, some as a mother tongue so uh, you, you can understand why it's being done but I think, as with most things in Nigeria, the implementation of this is going to be a nightmare, and I will be following that with great interest. Well, um, yeah, and indeed we will, and it'll be interesting to see also um, how Nigeria starts to get their act together, if they do get their act together, because they are the most populous country in Africa, and they are also one of really the big three. You know, it's us, Egypt, and, and Nigeria that in different regions have to keep the um, – the whole continent moving forward, and certainly I think we've left the side down a little bit. But we'll see how that goes. I, I, we certainly will. And, you know, talking about my hard-drinking friends, when I used to write, Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, some sub-editor would say, Nigeria, the most popular country in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> the, the drunk editor. Not necessarily the case. <laughs> yeah. Are they, are they hard drinkers in, in other parts of this country or is it a very South African? I mean, this continent is a very South African thing to uh, binge drink like we do. I, I think it's a continent wide thing, ah. except of course in the Muslim countries. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but yes, no, there's, uh, I mean, you go to Zimbabwe. My goodness, I'll tell you, I regale you with tales of Zimbabwe. Ah. Uh, and uh, yes, of course, and all of them, uh, well, I mean, all, all the way up and down. Uh, in uh, which was the country? Oh, no, it's not in, it's not Africa. It's in Pakistan where you have to, if you want to take a drink and you're a Westerner, you have to declare that you are an alcoholic. Oh. To do it, you have to sign a piece of paper. Oh wow! Uh, and many, many, many a sports journalist going to cover cricket was happily uh, willing to do that, you know. But well, you know, thank they're you. All, they're all fun, but all over, all over the place, they they certainly go. Algeria, of course, a largely Muslim country, but they make some of the finest wines oh. as a part of their French heritage. Cuvée de Président is a really, really fine red Algerian wine, and you can buy it. Uh, well, in the hotels, they don't have bars, but in the hotels, you can buy it. That's amazing. All right. I would never have guessed. You see, we do, we learnt about bumsters. We learnt about fine uh, French wine in Algeria. Very, very useful. Thank you very much, JJ. As always, pleasure to have you on. We'll talk to you soon.
I'm, I'm hoping so, and I will te- teach you more about dorp and bad behavior. <laughs> Thank you very much. JJ Cornish, an African analysis brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. It's not always about serious political goings-on, although we cover those as well. Cliffcentral.com.